Thank you, Lord. We're going to be in a couple of places here today. Mark chapter 11 and First Chronicles, or Second Chronicles chapter 14. You can uh, flip one over there or just sit on back and watch them up on the screen. There was a scientist who was unjustly accused and convicted of a major crime. So he found himself sentenced to hard time in prison out in the Arizona desert. And his cellmate, as it turned out, was another scientist. And so the first scientist who just got put in prison was con- concocting a way to escape and to get out. And so he, uh, being a scientist, he planned it all out, where he would go and what he would do. And he tried to talk to the other scientists to also come and help him make the plans and to make the escape with him. And he said, no, I'm not going to do it. And so he ended up doing this on his own. And he escaped from the prison. And he was out in the desert for a long time and was without food and without water. And the heat, everything kind of built up. And he became very disoriented, almost to the point of going mad. And so he had to return to the prison and he came back. They put him back in the cell with the other scientist. And he, and he told him out of experience and how bad it was. And the other scientist said, yeah, that's exactly what happened to me when I went out there. And he says, you mean you went out there and you escaped from prison and you had the same experience and didn't tell me? He says, no, you never published negative results. Now, see, sometimes we've had some, some situations that have come up that have caused us to have something against another, haven't we? And we looked in Mark chapter 11. We've been covering this scripture and different aspects of it. We looked at the asking part. I spent a few weeks on that. Now we've been on the hindrances to prayer. And last week we picked up pride as one. But let's pull that verse up. Mark chapter 11, verse 25. He tells us there that whenever you stand praying, if you have anything against anyone. That's pretty broad, isn't it? Anything against anyone. Does that include relatives? Obnoxious neighbors? Rude bosses? People you don't know. People you wish you didn't know. (laughs) It includes them all, doesn't it? Anything against anyone. Does it matter if it's just? Does it matter if it's unjust? Does it matter if you're right? Does it matter if they're right? No, what's it matter? Anything against anyone. Forgive him that your Father in heaven may also forgive you your trespasses. In verse 26. But if you do not forgive, neither will your Father in heaven forgive your trespasses. Now, we've said that Jesus, when he teaches on prayer and hindrances to prayer, the only thing he ever brings up is unforgiveness. Now, we know that a lack of faith will hinder us. We know that doubt will hinder us. And he teaches us the need for those things. But when he gets into specifically talking about hindrances to answered prayer, when Jesus is teaching, this is what he comes to. Which leads us to believe that this is the number one cause, number one hindrance for unanswered prayer. If you have anything against anyone. So we wanted to break this down a little bit more. And so we brought this question out to you last week. What is it that causes us to have anything against anyone? What is it that causes us to have anything against anyone? We use the example of your home. That when you have a home and if you have a problem, a leak, an electrical problem, it doesn't do any good to fix the result of the problem. You have to fix the cause. Otherwise, you are always fixing the result. You've got to fix the cause. 
So we've got to find out what is it that causes us to have anything against anyone. And if I can nip at the cause, then perhaps I can stop having anything against anyone. Last week we looked at pride. We broke that down, spent some time on, on it, and saw, I, I put this in there, we're try, trying to, uh, meditating on this throughout the week and, and getting some things. I wanted to try and bring this all together so that you can see it a little bit more concisely. So I added some things to the area of pride and put this in the beginning of your outline. That there is a root to pride being a problem. The root is this. A quality or ability not recognized or utilized properly by others. When pride becomes a problem, it is because we have a quality or Ability that is not recognized or utilized by others. Isn't that when we come to a problem? And then we get puffed up with pride because look at what I have to offer. Look at what I should be doing. Look at how people should look at me. Equality or ability not recognized or utilized properly by others. We looked last week at Hannah. Hannah was a woman. Woman can have children. How many did Hannah have? And she saw who is the source of the problem. God. God was the problem with her not having any children. So I have an ability, but it's not being utilized, and God is the one not utilizing it. He's the one who's hindering me from having kids. And she had a bitterness that came up. And we'd, we spent some time on that story, and some of the things were going on with that. It's up on the Internet if you were missed it. It comes against the godly character quality of humility. You see, what Satan wants to do when he targets us is he wants to take a godly quality that has good results, target it, and get rid of it. If you're at war with another country, what you have to do is target their strengths and eliminate them. That's what you got to do. And the devil wants to try and target what are our strengths, what are the things that make us strong, what are the things that help us in life, and we got to get rid of it. So humility, if we're humble before God, what does God do? Gives grace. Oh, that God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So what he wants to do is move you over to the place where God resists you and out of the place where God gives you grace. So he tries to pull you into that. Pride comes directly against the godly character quality of humility. Now, the problem here, Jesus talked about when we have something against another or anything against anyone, is that we're not forgiving because he says when you stand praying, forgive. So I don't, so when I get caught up in the area of pride and it gets me into having something against another, I don't forgive because of a distorted view of value and importance. I am putting the wrong value on things. Hannah put the wrong value on children. Her husband even came to her and says, Am I not worth ten sons to you? But she didn't realize what she had because she put a value on what she did not have and devalued the things that she did have. It is a distorted view of value and importance. When a person is prideful, they put a distorted view on the tributes that they have. They think them to be more worthwhile than they are or should be more useful than people are making them, making them out to be. This is the problem. So, pride, I don't forgive because of a distorted view of value and importance. Now, in this one, we're going to look at bitterness. 
We told you that there are three causes as I meditated on this, and I still have not come up with anything more than three. Because every time I come up with something different, I think about it a little bit, and it fits right into one of these three. So we're still staying with the three. Here's the second one. This is bitterness. I told you they get harder as they go along. Pride was the easiest one. Bitterness is a feeling of deep and bitter anger and ill will. will. A feeling of deep and bitter anger and ill will. A resentment strong enough to justify retaliation. It is resentment strong enough to justify retaliation. Now, when you think about it, when you have gotten bitter at someone, is it not easy to justify how you could get back at them? I mean, doesn't it, it just, it's just easy. And there's all kinds of reasons why you should be able to get back at them. Because you are bitter. <laughs> You're angry. You're upset. Here's the root of this one. A response or accusal perceived or received wrongfully. That's the root. I'm not saying that the response or accusal was wrong. This is your perception of it. This is when this when bitterness comes in and it sets on the inside of me, the root cause, the root of this is a response or accusal perceived or received wrongfully. So what that means is this. Someone responds to me and says something. How many times have people heard a response that you made to them and heard something different than you intended? Right? Doesn't that come in? It doesn't matter that you did it or intended it. What mattered was how they heard it. I heard it that way. And that's what you have to deal with is how they heard it. A response or accusal. Sometimes we have been accused of things we did not do. Anybody ever been accused of something you didn't do? What does that do to you inside? Get you all happy? Glad? (laughs) No, what does it do? You can become bitter. You can become mad. Oh, this isn't right. Why are you accusing me of this? Don't you know me better than that? You should know me better than that. You shouldn't think those things of me. You shouldn't say those things. Now, not all the things are verbal. How many times have you perceived? Because they looked at you in a certain way. Well, when they said that, they cocked their eyebrow up. Now, I know what that means. Perception. Oh, man. Now, you know, you, and perception bases, is based on the person, isn't it? You kind of know the person, and because of your knowledge of them, it can kind of change how you perceive things. I had that problem a lot with people because it may, it may be news to you, but I'm not real emotional. Some people think it's an act. I'm really, I'm just not emotional. It's just things just don't phase me. They don't bother me a whole lot. And when I was an assistant pastor, uh, I, I took a skill I already had and I honed it to perfection. Oh, man, because it it turned out that because I was a person who didn't express himself very much, the smallest sliver of expression meant mountains to people, which meant I need to express less. (laughs) So I learned through the course of, of my time there that any kind of emotional response is bad. Any kind for me. Whatever. 
I remember one time there was, a, there was an individual in the uh, youth group I was over. He was one of the leaders, one of the helpers in it. And he had expressed to me something that he did against me that I was completely unaware of. And as he was expressing this to me and telling me about it, um, I, well, you know, I, I'm, I really didn't know anything about this. And it's fine. I, let's just go on. And so we went on, and I thought everything was fine for a few weeks, but he just kept acting odd. And so I went up to him and said, you know, what's going on? What's, what's happening? And he says, well, when I was telling you about that, I think you're holding something against me. I said, well, why do you think that? Well, when I was telling you about it, your eyebrow went up. So I realized I had to keep my eyebrows under control when I talk to people. <laughs> Because it's a response or accusal perceived or received wrongfully. A response or accusal perceived or received wrongfully. When you have that and it builds up on the inside, bitterness comes. You can become bitter. I shouldn't have to deal with it. I shouldn't have received that. He shouldn't have looked at me that way. We have these perceptions of things. Ever been at work? And you hear that so-and-so at work got a raise. What do you do immediately? Well, how come I didn't get a raise? I worked just as hard. I've been here longer. I get more done. And you begin to think on these things. And what kind of feelings does it build up on the inside of you? Not good ones, is it? We become bitter. So we want to take a look at the story here of someone who became bitter. Now, I'll put this in your outline. I want you to get this. This is real important. You may already know it, but you may not be thinking about it. No one is born bitter. No one. No one is born bitter. We become bitter. We're not born that way. God did not make you in this, bring you into this world bitter. You did it. You added the ingredients that were necessary to bring about bitterness. And you all know in, in, in the kitchen or in places, there's times that you want something to be bitter. And if you want it bitter, you add certain seasonings that bring about bitterness. Because you desire it that way. In the same way with life, you can add certain ingredients that will make you bitter. Once bitterness sets in, other responses are uh, will follow. You become easily angered. Ever notice that when bitterness is set on the inside? That you are easily angered. Often offended. Bitter people just get offended at the drop of a hat. I mean, stuff can go on and you wouldn't even give two, two thoughts to it. But all of a sudden, you find out they're, they got offended. What? Because it's easily angered and often offended when bitterness sets in. Jealousy. Envy. And you can keep on going on. All kinds of other qualities come in that are not necessarily all that good. But I put this one in there. Make sure you get this one. And barriers block relationships. When bitterness sets in, barriers are set up to block relationships. Now, think about your own life. I'm sure this is years ago. Think back many, many, many years ago, once when you were bitter. 
and that bitterness came in between you and someone else, what happened to the relationship? There's a block there, right? As soon as that person enters the room, what happens? Wall goes right up. You're on a defensive. It's not healthy. It's not good. You don't want to have that kind of stuff going on. Second Chronicles chapter 14. So Abijah rested with his fathers and they buried him in the city of David. Then Asa, his son, reigned in his, in his place. And in his days, the land was quiet for ten years. Asa did what was good and right in the eyes of the Lord his God. And he removed the altars of the foreign gods and the high places and broke down the sacred pillars and cut down the wooden images. He com commanded Judah to seek the Lord God of their fathers and to observe the law and the commandments. He also removed the high places and the incense altars, altars from all the cities of Judah. And the kingdom was quiet under him. Now, it does say here that he commanded Judah to seek the Lord. Understand, zealous people sometimes do things that are not necessarily godly. You cannot command people to seek the Lord. You can give them an opportunity, but you cannot command them. You cannot legislate righteousness. You cannot command people to not sin. Contrary to how things are handled now, you cannot do it. How well has it worked for us to outlaw drugs? You shall not do drugs. And that has done what? Drugs still abound. They still abound. People are doing that. We uh, have an outlaw on murder, don't we? How's that working out? Y you can't do it, can you? We have people that are trying to create rules to outlaw political incorrectness. Make it wrong for you to say and do certain things. And you can't do that. The reason that people say things that are supposedly politically incorrect is because of what's on the inside of them. Some people say some things that are considered politically incorrect that I think are just okay. <laughs> They're just fine. We try and outlaw racism. Can you outlaw racism? No, I cannot legislate that another person not be racist. Only one way to cure racism, folks. You know what that is? Get them born again. <laughs> Get them born again. Let God change them on the inside. Because you let God change on the outside, you cannot look at people the same way. You can't do it. Not possible. You get God on the inside of you and because and you, you get God's love on the inside and then you love people the way God does. That's a whole lot different. You cannot create rules for that. But that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to legislate this kind of thing. You cannot do it. Now, he's trying to right here. All right, everybody, seek the Lord right now. But that's not going to work out so well, is it? You can't do it. You, you can't legislate even a, that, that any sin is wrong. People want to have, have rules, you know, about abortion and homosexuality and things like that. But people are going to sin until you get them born again and turn them on to the Word of God. That's all you can do. Get them saved. Even then sometimes, you know, we're still <laughs> get caught up with some stuff we shouldn't be doing. But at least we're working on it. We're getting it. We're getting there. So therefore, he says, verse 7 to Judah. 
Let us build these cities and make walls around them, towers, gates, bars, while the land is yet before us, because we have sought the Lord our God. We have sought Him, and He has given us rest on every side. So they built and prospered, and Asa had an army of 300,000 from Judah and carried, who carried shields and spears, and from Benjamin, 280,000 men, almost as many from Benjamin as Judah, even though Judah is a bigger tribe. That's nearly 600,000 army. All these were mighty men of valor. So apparently they weren't any just common soldiers. They were all mighty men of valor. Then Zerah, the Ethiopian, came out against them with an army of a million men. A million men. Well, six, almost 600, 580,000 to a million. They're outnumbered, not quite, but close to two to one. But it doesn't say that all the Ethiopians were mighty men of valor. It just says that the Israelites are. Now, it could be, you know, they're a little biased. Then Zerah, the Ethiopian, came out against them with an army of a million men, 300 chariots. I didn't hear about any chariots on the Israeli side. And he came to Merishah. So Asa went out against him. And they set the troops in battle array in the valley of Zephatha at Merishah. And Asa cried out to the Lord his God and said, Lord, it is nothing for you to help, whether with many or with those who have no power. Help us, O Lord, our God, for we rest on you. And in your name we go against this multitude, O Lord. You are our God. Do not let men or man prevail against you. What a prayer, huh? Not long, but powerful. That's good. <laughs> Apparently it worked. So the Lord struck the Ethiopians before Asa and Judah, and the Ethiopians fled, and Asa and all the people who were with him pursued them to Gerar. So the Ethiopians were overthrown, and they could not recover, for they were broken before the Lord and his army, and they carried away very much spoil. And I want you to get the picture of this. How many soldiers are with Israel? 580,000 if each one of them carried away one piece of gold, if each one of them carried away one piece of gold, that would be pretty good, huh? But I don't get the idea when it's talking about them carrying away very much spoil that they were each carrying. No, I'll put this in my pocket. You put that in your pocket and we'll all go home. I get the idea there's a whole lot of stuff to kink. So you imagine very much spoil carried by 580,000 it's a whole lot of stuff. whole lot of stuff. So you took a situation here where a million guys come up against you for no reason. No reason at all. You didn't pick any battles. You've been at peace for ten years. Just fixing up Israel. Making things look good at home. And then all of a sudden, these guys are your neighbors. Raise up a million men to come against you. And instead of getting in fear... And accusing God, why are you letting this happen? What do they do? Father God, we didn't cause this. But you can deliver by many or by few. Don't matter. So we're going to go on out and you go out before us and you show yourself strong. And he did. And they, instead of getting all grumbling, complaining about the problem, they carried away very much spoil. How many of y'all can say this was a good day? This was a good day. We got all the stuff that a million men carried with them. Hmm. Not bad. It's a good day. 
And Asa and the people were with him. Well, we said that verse 14. Then they defeated all the cities around Gerar, for the fear of the Lord came upon them. And they plundered all the cities. So if you plunder all the cities of everything they have, can you get the idea that we're all not just carrying away a piece of gold? Because in the cities are you know, the equivalent of banks, vaults, all the treasures that people have, all the things that they've amassed in the city. Because in the city you have rich people and you have poor people. And you carry away all of it. Cities. Plural. You got it all. They didn't have, you know, deposits on, on account. It was there. But they plundered all the cities, for there was exceedingly much spoil in them. Exceedingly much spoil in the cities. So the idea I get is not that 580,000 people are carrying away stuff, but that 580,000 people are getting carts and piling stuff on carts and carrying these carts back. They're getting the, the oxen, the livestock, and they're making them tow the carts with all the stuff that is on it. And these guys don't have to carry away much because they've got carts. They, they, they robbed all the stuff from the, or took all the stuff from the cities, put it on the carts from the cities, and carted it all home. Much stuff. They also attacked the livestock enclosures and carried off sheep and camels in abundance. Now, if I was them, I wouldn't carry them. I'd make them walk. But that's just, that's just me. <laughs> and they returned to Jerusalem. So he's doing pretty good here. We got a good start. He's removing all kinds of foreign idols. We got this victory over the Ethiopians. And then verse 1 of chapter 15. Now, the Spirit of God came upon Azariah, the son of Obed. I'm sorry, Oded. And he went out to meet Asa and said to him, Hear me, Asa, and all Judah and Benjamin. The Lord is with you while you are with him. If you seek him, he will be found by you. But if you forsake him, he will forsake you. For a long time Israel has been without the, the true God, without a teaching priest, and without law. But when in their trouble they turned to the Lord God of Israel and sought him, he was found by them. And in those times there was no peace to the one who went out, nor to the one who came in. But great turmoil was on all the inhabitants of the land, because the people who reigned before him were not so good. So nation was destroyed by nation and city by city, and for God troubled them with every adversity. But you be strong, and do not let your hands be weak, for your work shall be rewarded. Oh, what a, what, how great would that be to hear that from God? If God showed up with a prophet and stood in front of you, but you be strong and do not let your hands be weak for your work shall be rewarded. And when Asa heard these words in the prophecy of Oded, the prophet, he took courage and removed the abominable idols from all the land of Judah and Benjamin and from the cities which he had taken in the mountains of Ephraim. And he restored all the altar of the Lord that was before the vestibule of the Lord. So he comes back with great spoil after the day didn't start out looking all that good. Came back with great spoil and then gets this great word from the Lord. I mean, this is one that if they had recordings, you would want the recording of it. Right? You ever been in those places, you know, those people hand out the recording that this is the word or they write it out for you. And you, go, <laughs> you get to see that again. He probably had somebody there, write that, write that down, write it down. I want to see this again. 
Then he gathered all Judah and Benjamin and those who dwelt before with them from Ephraim, Manasseh, and Simeon, for they came over to him in great numbers from Israel when they saw that the Lord his God was with him. So you had people that were in an, a uh, country not worshiping God up in Israel, and they heard that Asa was turning everything around over here. Let's go down there. They got good stuff going on down there. Verse 10, So they gathered together at Jerusalem in the third month, in the fifteenth year of the reign of Asa. And they offered to the Lord at that time 700 bulls and 7,000 sheep from the spoil they had brought. That's just what they brought for the sacrifice. 700 bulls and 7,000 sheep. And they entered into a covenant to seek the Lord God of their fathers with all their heart and with all their soul. And whoever would not seek the Lord God of Israel was put to death. <laughs> You cannot legislate following after God. People have tried it. You can't do it. People got to do it because it's in their heart to do it. And God doesn't ask us to legislate and make that happen. He wants people to, to come along and, and, just, and just go that way. Now, in the coming years from here, the church will undergo great trial in this area. Because it has been done so in, in, to an extent, it's going to become greater. That people will accuse the church of Jesus Christ of legislating or desiring legislation against homosexuals. Against people who get abortions. And all the, the like. And, and nowhere does it. And churches who do are not churches of God. We have never pushed in, the, in this church... For any kind of legislation in these areas, simply because you got to change people. That's what you got to do. You got to change the people. You change the people. And they serve God with all their heart, and the sins fall away. You get people born again. You don't get them born again and say, "All right, now you got to stop doing this. You got to stop doing this. You got to stop doing this and stop." Do okay, if you don't stop doing all those things, don't come back. We don't do that, do we? No, you get them born again. Now, feed them the Word. Feed them the Word. And as you do, oh, things are going to change on the inside of you. I think it was Moody who was approached by a girl, got born again. And she said, but I like to dance. He said, that's all right. Go ahead and dance all you want to. And she didn't understand at first, but as she got born again, as she was born again, she got into the Word. Pretty soon she found out, I don't want to dance anymore. <laughs> just, just want to serve God. That's how you do it. That's how you do it. We'll be accused of that. You just get ready for it. Just smile. Don't get bitter. <laughs> so he gets strong and he heads out and does all these things. Legislating knows some things he shouldn't do. Verse 14, Then they took an oath before the Lord with a loud voice, with shouting and trumpets and ram's horns, and all Judah re rejoiced at the oath, for they had sworn with all their heart and sought him with all their soul, and he was found by them, and the Lord gave them rest all around. And he removed Makkah, the mother of Asa, the king, from being queen mother because she had made an obscene image of Asherah. And Asa cut down her obscene image, then crushed and burned it by the brook Kidron. But the high places were not removed from Israel. Nevertheless, the heart of Asa was loyal all his days. Now, the high places were more convenient places to worship because it was inconvenient to go all the way down to Jerusalem to make your sacrifice. So just go to the high place. And you can do it there. That's not what God said, but people came up with you know, more convenient ways to do it. It's not like we have anything to relate it to here. I mean, people don't stay at home, watch church on TV or anything like that. 
<laughs> but if they did, you know, that's the kind of thing that you would relate to. Why get up early in the morning, get in the car and go all the way down to church when you can just get in your pajamas and go on down and watch it on TV? And if you don't like what's on one station, great, turn on the other one. <laughs> it's kind of like in that area. So he didn't, uh, he didn't get into that sort of stuff, but verse 18, He also brought into the house of God the things that his fathers had dedicated and that he himself had dedicated silver and gold and utensils. And there was no war until the 35th year of the reign of Asa. So we went 10 years, no war. Then in that, those five years, we had some stuff that went on. And then no more war until 35 years. Then we come to chapter 16. In verse 1. Things have been going pretty good so far, haven't they? In the 36th year of the reign of Asa, Basha, king of Israel, came up against Judah and built Ramah, that he might let none go out or come in to King Asa, to the, Asa, the king of Judah. So this is not a good situation. They're blocking some of their access. Then Asa brought silver and gold from the treasuries of the house of the Lord and of the king's house and sent to Ben-Hadam, king of Syria, who dwelt in Damascus, saying, Let there be a treaty between you and me as there was between my father and your father. Here I have sent you silver and gold. Come break your treaty with Basha, king of Israel, so that he will withdraw from me. So Ben-Hadad hated king Asa and sent the captains of his armies against the cities of Israel. They attacked Ijon, Dan, Abel, Mayim, and all the storage cities of Nephtali. Now it happened when Basha heard it that he stopped building Ramah and ceased his works. So what they did was, all right, you got a treaty going on with Israel. We'll outbid them. And we'll give you more money. And now you come be a treaty with us instead. And so they said, oh, this is a better offer. This is a better deal. We'll take that. And they, they sent their armies against. Up until then, Israel thought we got this ally over here with Syria. So we can go ahead and branch out and not have to worry about battle between Syria. And we can use all those forces and come over down here and guard against Judah and uh, take some space and get some plunder. So he came up with this idea. If we just get him... I mean, how many of you all know this sounds like a good idea? The reason that Basha is strong... And is Basha a good king or a bad king? Now, just let me let you include in a little bit of history here. As far as Israel goes... They never had a good king. Never. So if you hear that he is the king of Israel, what do you know immediately? Bad king. Bad king. Not a good king at all. He's a bad king. We're not even talking about any neutral kings. They were all bad kings. They, Some of them started out good until they became king. We got two examples of guys who were good until they became king and then they were bad. Instantly bad. As soon as they took the throne, it's like something happened. Bad king. Every single king in the northern kingdom was bad. In the southern kingdom, they had a number of good ones, a number of really good ones, and some bad ones. Towards the end, the bad ones became more common than the good ones. So when you see Basha here, you are dealing with an idolatrous king, a bad king, and a king who does not follow God. Who is rising up against a good king who God is pleased with. Well, anything you can do to take these guys out should be good. Because they're bad. 
they shouldn't be. They should be, you know, they have the light of the gospel in there and not, they're not listening to it. So, verse 6, Then King Asa took all Judah and they carried away the stones and timber of Ramah. Well, I'm going to go back to verse 5. Now it happened when Basha heard it that he stopped building Ramah and ceased his work. So the plan worked. And King Asa took all Judah and they carried away the stones and timber of Ramah which Basha had used for building and with them he built Geba and Mitzpah. And all that time, Hanani the seer came, or at that time, Hanani the seer came to Asa, king of Judah, and said to him, Because you have relied on the king of Syria, and have not relied on the Lord your God, therefore the army of the king of Syria has escaped from your hand. Were the Ethiopians and the Lubin not a huge army, with very many chariots and horsemen? Yet because you relied on the Lord, He delivered them into your hand. Well, see, we had at peace for a while. We got kind of lax. And we came up with a good idea instead of going after it the way that He should have gone after it. So what God said was, my plan here was that you would defeat Syria and take all their stuff and also defeat Israel. But you didn't go that way. So you get nothing. God's way is just better. It doesn't look easy, but it is better. So he, the problem was that he relied on the king of Syria instead of his God. That was the problem. Verse 9, For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is loyal to him. We all know that verse, don't we? That's a good one. But it's used in a negative sense here. In other words, can't rely on you anymore. You're not loyal. Not the way that you were. In this you have done foolishly. Therefore, from now on, you shall have wars. So, he, he has a war before, and the prophet greets him, and it has good things to say. I mean, refrigerator stuff. You get to cut that stuff out, put it on your refrigerator so you can see it every day. That kind of stuff. And then he goes and does this plan. And he gets greeted by the prophet. And this is not refrigerator stuff. This is stuff that you'd rather not have. And here is the response we get from Asa. Then Asa was angry with the seer. And put him in prison. For he was enraged at him because of this. Now remember the definition we gave you? Of the bitterness? It is a response. Or accusal. Perceived or received wrongfully. Does Asa think that this has come in the right way? No, he thinks it has come wrongfully. Now, if you're Asa, put yourself in Asa's shoes because you have been in Asa's shoes before. Where people have come after. Now, God is mad at Asa and he's rebuked him. And if you're Asa... How many times have we reviewed what we did and seen the good in it? Well, what we did was, you know, we took some money. We didn't risk any lives of the children of Judah. We just took some money. We paid these guys off and they went out and the, the unrighteous people fought amongst themselves. And we didn't have to do it. And we just went back there and took some of the stuff over at Ramah. And I don't see why you're upset. This is a good result. It worked out well. You have no right to be up. It was a good idea. God, I think you're just mad because I had a good idea. 
I think you're just jealous because my idea was better than your idea. You had the idea of me going out there and defeating Syria and Israel, and I just thought we'd do this and we'll get the same result. So you're just mad because my way was quicker. And then we begin to think about it more and more, and we see the great wisdom in our plan and the absolute stupidity of God's plan. Don't we? Because bitterness rises up on the inside of us. And we get madder and madder because my way was right. God's way was wrong. And now God wants to cover it up by being mad at me. Oh. Isn't that what we do? Bitterness will do that. When you hear people that are accusing God of things, it's because bitterness has set in. Bitterness has set in. They are bitter at God for something. You talk to some heathen people out there, and they're bitter at God because somebody in their family died. Because somebody lost a job. Because their car broke down. Because something happened to their house, something happened to their dog, something happened to whatever. And they got mad. This shouldn't have happened. Bitter. A man, now Asa does not have the proper reaction here, but he has a reaction that many people do. This is a guy, things are going good. He's doing well. Prosperity has come. God's given him good words. But when this came, he gets mad at the seer. He gets mad at the seer. How many people in the news media are mad at preachers because of the words that they bring? And they don't like the words. So they get mad at the preacher. And they start accusing the preacher. Man or woman. No matter. No matter where they come from or anything like that. They preach the Word of God. They ruffled some feathers. You get a preacher, man or woman, who gets up there and says that Jesus is the only way. What does the media do? Oh. Oh. You can't be so closed-minded. Oh. And then they'll start digging into all the things they can possibly dig out about that preacher, don't they? And start to make him think like he's not a good person at all. How does he do all this sort of stuff? I heard somebody did that. I don't remember who it was or where it was, but I remember that there was a news person who was quizzing somebody. I don't think know if it was a preacher or a politician or who it was, but somebody, and they were quizzing them on this, and they turned it around, and they said, well, what about you? I think you had this and this going on, and they got indignant. The, the reporter got indignant. How dare you check out my past? <laughs> they got mad. They don't like the same treatment turned on them. So Asa's angry with the seer and put him in prison. And he was enraged at him because of this. So first he started out with angry. And then it becomes enraged because you feed on how right you are, how wrong God is, and how dare you bring this accusation in front of all these people. And Asa oppressed some of the people at that time. That was kind of a general thing there, but what kind of people do you think he oppressed? <laughs> How about people that agreed with the seer? How about people who said, I told you you shouldn't do this. Oh, yeah? How'd you like a sheriff's cell right next to him? <laughs> and he oppressed some, didn't oppress all, he oppressed some of the people. Generally, you oppress the people that point out the mistake. And he's upset. He's mad at this. Verse 11. Note that the acts of Asa, first and last, are indeed written in the book of the kings of Judah and Israel. 
And in the 39th year of his reign, that's three years later, Asa became diseased in his feet, and his malady was severe, yet in his disease he did not seek the Lord but the physicians. Why would a guy who would seek the Lord over so many things do this? He's diseased in his feet, and I'm not, I'm not even going to ask God about this. Why? Because I'm mad at God. You ever have that, you know, hear relatives talking about each other? I'm not asking them. Mm-mm. No, I'm not asking. I'm not asking them to have Thanksgiving dinner at their house. No, no, I'm mad at them. Mm-mm. I'm not asking. I'm not asking them to come to Thanksgiving dinner either. No, sir. And I, or else we get into that. Well, I'm not asking Aunt so-and-so to bring any yams. Because she thinks her yams are better than mine. I don't even want her to come. But if she has to come, don't tell her to bring yams. Because I hear it all day long how her yams are better than my yams. And I don't want to hear it. Right? Because bitterness is set in. It blocks relationships. And now we won't ask things of each other because of this. And he won't ask anything of God. I'm not going to ask him anything about my feet. I'll go over here to physicians. Just like he did with Syria. Go over there and ask them. He became diseased in his feet and his malady was severe. Now, I'm sure it didn't start out severe. But eventually it became severe. And even then, he still wasn't seeking after God. How many of y'all believe that people came to him and said, Asa, ask God. What do you think he did to them? Go to jail. Get out of here. Guard. <laughs> I don't know what all he did, but you know, he oppressed some of the people. And he did not seek the Lord but the physician, so he rested with his fathers. He died in the 41st year of his reign. Two years. He died from whatever it was that was diseased in his feet. And they buried him in his own tomb, which he had made for himself in the city of David. And they laid him in the bed, which was filled with spices and various ingredients, prepared in the mixture of ointments. They made a very great burning for him. So he's treated as a good king. He didn't die well. Did not die well. Died poorly. Died bitter. Angry. With a wall between him and God and oppressed some of the people in his land that he was given care of. So Asa reacts badly to this. He's been reacting fine all the way up until now. He's been doing great. But all of a sudden a situation came in and the prophet came and rebuked him. What would have happened if Asa just would have said, oh, You're right. I shouldn't have done it that way. Ask God if he'll forgive me. I repent. What do you think would have happened? God would have forgiven him. He would have forgiven him. And they would have gone on. And who knows what would have been there after that. He would have learned from it. And things would have been fine. But he didn't do it. He became bitter. And once bitterness begins to set in, it gets more and more a hold of you. How many of y'all know, maybe you have some experience with bitterness, when it first happens, you almost forget about it the next day. But as you keep running into the people or keep going over the situation, you become more and more bitter and pretty soon you're waking up in the morning thinking about that situation. You're going to bed at night thinking about that situation. You wake up in the middle of the night having dreamt about that situation. During the daytime, you are constantly distracted by that situation. You are engulfed by the bitterness to this one. 
on these people. There's a story that's told of a woman who was involved in a bitter fight with her husband. And she began to seek some professional help. And the counselor asked her, he said, Well, have you tried heaping burning coals on his head? Because you know the Bible talks about that, what you can do to heap burning coals on his, on his head. And she said, No, but I tried a skillet filled with hot grease. I wouldn't recommend that. So the seer is put in prison. He oppressed some of the people. He had a refusal to seek the Lord for healing. It all began with a bad decision. Then culminated in a bad reaction. He made a bad decision. And that's what started it. But what really pushed it along was his bad reaction. I put this quote in your outline. I saw this. It's given anonymously. The heart knows its own bitterness and no stranger shares its joy. The heart knows its own bitterness and no stranger shares its joy. The godly character that bitterness rises up against is the quality of joy. It replaces it with a joy of its own. Because the people who are bitter almost take joy some strange, perverted kind of joy in being bitter at the people that they're bitter with. And it feeds them and they go along. And Satan has come in and he replaces the wrong kind of joy for the God kind of joy. And they keep on going down that road. And the further they go down that road, the harder it is to get them back. Nehemiah chapter 8 verse 10 says, these are not in your outline. Uh, your outline. If you want to write them down, you can... Feel free to. Go your way, eat the fat, drink the, the sweet, and send portions to those for whom nothing is prepared. For this day is holy to the Lord. Do not sorrow, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. The joy of the Lord is your strength. There is joy that comes from the Lord that is your strength. If you want to defeat your enemy... The thing that you want to do is to get them weak. So you've got to cut off what gives them strength. If you're involved in a war with tanks and planes and such, you cut off the supply. And that stops them from being strong. You cut off their food. You cut off their ammunition. You cut off the things they can use to fight and the things that keeps them going. You cut off the things that help... Uh, fix them up, medications, you cut off their supply and eventually they become weak. So Satan wants to get us isolated from God. He wants to get us away from the joy of the Lord that is our strength and he replaces it with bitterness. And there's a joy almost to it. Weird, corrupted, awful kind of joy that people take out of being angry. Have you seen that with people? They're almost... Glad that they're angry with so-and-so. And you wonder, why? What does that possibly do for you? But they've gotten so far down that road that as the quote went, the heart knows its own bitterness and no stranger shares its joy. You can't figure it out. The joy of the Lord is our strength. In Jude chapter 1, verse 24, Now to him who was able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. 
He wants you to have exceeding joy coming in because exceeding joy is strength. When God infuses you with joy, what happens? I get stronger. I get stronger. Get the idea. Get the the picture. Popeye and spinach. Christian and joy. (laughs) Take in that joy. If he can get you cut off from the joy, he can get you cut off from your strength. That's what he wants to do. James chapter 1 verse 2. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. James chapter 1 verse 2. Count it all joy when you fall into various trials. What is the enemy's plan when we fall into various trials? Get mad. Get upset. See the injustice in it because this should not happen. This should not be going on for you. God should have protected you from this. God should have stopped this from happening. This never should have come near you. Yeah, it shouldn't. This is wrong. I should not have had this. And bitterness begins to set in. He wants you to get a little bit of that bitterness coming on the inside of you. How many of you enjoy salt? Come on, admit it. I like salt. There are some things I like salt on. French fries are made for salt. There is nothing that I like less than going into a restaurant, the drive-through window, and leaving with the French fries, and they're not salted properly. You can get bitter over something like this. <laughs> and lose all your joy. Because <laughs> you take a bite and that is, oh. It needs, it needs salt. There are some things that are just made for salt. And you put the salt on there and it tastes good. My favorite, my wife knows, my favorite. Oh, take those red potatoes, boil them up, cut them in small pieces, mash them on a plate with butter and salt. I, that's, a, that's a dinner for me. Oh, I'm just happy. Eating that that sucker, and I got that salt next to me because if I hit a spot where there's no salt, we need to have some more salt on that spot. Are you kidding me? We want salt on those things. Now, I don't have salt in everything, but the things that I like salt on, I like salt on. And those are some of those things. But, you know, have you ever put salt on ice cream? That wouldn't taste good, would it? It is not intended for that purpose. Bitterness against people... Against God is not intended for the Christian. It is like salt on ice cream. It does not belong. Salt has its place. Salt cannot mix into the other places. Salt is important. But don't put salt in the wrong area. We have two fish tanks at home. We have a saltwater fish tank and we have a freshwater fish tank. In the freshwater fish tank, the fish swim in water with no salt. They like water with no salt. They do well in water with no salt. If you take one of those fish out and put it into the other fish tank that is saltwater, they will die. If you take the saltwater fish and you put them into the freshwater, they will die. I did this once. 
not not for any sadistic purposes, <laughs> but for the purpose of of <laughs> for the purpose of healing a sick saltwater fish, because if they get a disease called ichthyrophytherius, commonly called ick, if they get that, that you cannot treat a saltwater tank like you can a freshwater tank. So one of the things you do is you catch the fish that has it, and you prepare a batch of water that's the exact pH, that is the exact temperature, and no salt. And you put the fish in there. I still remember to this day doing it. Did it to a powder blue tang. I like that powder blue tang, and I wanted to keep him around. So I did this. I went through all the trouble, and I put him in there, and he looked terrible from the moment I put him in. He was suffering he went down to the bottom and laid there, and his gills labored to breathe. But I believe I had to keep him in there for about 90 seconds. And I'm watching him the whole time. Hang on. Come on, buddy. Hang on. Hang on. <laughs> and then I took him out of there and put him in his own isolated tank and was able to treat him there, and he, he came back just fine. But you see, if you do that, the parasites don't do well in the, salt, in the non-salt environment either. But a parasite dies faster than a fish. So if you put it in there, the parasites will die before the fish will. And then you put the fish in and you treat them. And then you could. Now you can't do that with fresh water, but fresh water, they get ache is no big deal. You throw some medicine in the tank and you're good to go. Can't do that for the other ones. But you see, there's salt and there's fresh. What belongs in fresh stays in fresh. What belongs in salt stays in salt. Bitterness does not belong in the Christian. It is like taking a freshwater fish and putting it in a saltwater environment. You don't want to do it. But Christians constantly jump in to the saltwater tank, not knowing that it's killing them spiritually. Bitterness will kill you spiritually. They get you to the point where Asa, who was his man who had these great prayers, did these great things, and now he won't even seek after God for his feet. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. The first time he fell into a trial, he counted it all joy, and he saw the opportunity, and God gave him a vast amount of spoil. The second time, he made a bad decision and compounded it because when he was approached about it, he got angry and bitter. Colossians chapter 1, verse 10. That you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing Him, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Now, verse 11, look at this. Strengthened with all might according to His glorious power for all patience and long-suffering with joy. You let bitterness come in and that with joy is removed and the whole thing begins to fall apart. Verse 12. Giving thanks to the Father. People who are not in joy do not give thanks. Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in the light. Now I want you to understand that every single one of these qualities we have comes against the godly quality of love or agape love. Every single one of them does. So we're not really mixing love in there, though we could put it in there for each and every one. Just know pride comes against love. Bitterness comes against love. And what we're getting into next, that will come against love as well. So specifically, though, in this one, I don't 
forgive because of a selfish view of the situation. People who are in bitterness have a selfish view of whatever situation they are bitter about. If you ask them to talk about it, anyone who is bitter, ask them to talk about it, they will tell you why they are right, the other one was wrong, and how unjust it is that these things are going on. It is a selfish view. The Word of God tells us about that, that every man's way is right in his own eyes. What you need to do is get out from your own eyes and hear it from the Lord's. And if you get involved in bitterness, you will not do it. You're going to be satisfied with your own selfish view of the situation and why you were right. The devil loves this because it is robbing you of the joy of the Lord, which is stealing your strength. And you become weaker and weaker and weaker. And you remember the verses in the New Testament? Satan goes about seeking whom he may devour. Weak ones are one of the ones he can devour. If he gets you bitter enough, enough, long enough, sap your strength, no joy. He can devour you anytime he wants to. And people, they're bitter. You watch them. The more they fall into bit, they're getting bitter and bitter and bitter and more and more bitter. They're useless to God. You put them in any situation. And they bring people down. Put them in any situation. There is no anointing. They kill the anointing. Be careful. Now, you've got to be around people like that to try and help them out. But you've got to do it in such a way that, all right, there's bitterness there. I do not want the bitterness to come to me. I do not want the bitterness to come to me. I cannot have that. You've got to guard against it. You can but be careful that you don't hang out that too long. <laughs> Get back into your own company. Jesus, when he was around the Pharisees and the Sadducees, what were they? Bitter. They're bitter people. Did he hang out with them all the time? No. He went out and there ministered to them, but he didn't hang out with them all the time. They're bitter people. The hold that it will have over you becomes stronger and stronger. It's coming against the joy of the Lord. But I get into a place where I don't forgive because of a selfish view of the situation. Now, next week we're not going to get into the third one. We're going to spend one more week on this one. Because we looked at someone who fell victim to it. I want you to see someone who pulled themselves out. Because it's important to know, not just that we avoid falling victim but that we know how to pull ourselves out once we have fallen into that bitterness. Or if we know people that have gotten into bitterness, how do we get them to come out? As long as the people stay bitter, they are right. God is wrong and you are wrong. I am the only one who sees things right. I'm the only one who sees things correctly. Why? I am bitter. <laughs> Don't you get bitter when you're dealing with them. You stay loving. You stay joyful. The joy of the Lord is your strength. Go on back there and just get into some worship. It's a, sometimes, you know, if, if you get around situations that make you feel dirty, you go in, you get a shower. You know, if you go out there playing football in the mud, what do you do? You come home, you get a shower. I'm sure you've all done that. Play football in the mud. There is no better place to play, play football. 
than on a muddy field. It just, haven't you ever felt that? It just calls for you, doesn't it? Oh, man, you see that muddy field? Oh, I feel the call. I feel the call. Go out there and... We were playing football one time down at Rama. This is when I'm doing my own laundry. <laughs> right in the middle of this field is this huge puddle. Huge puddle. Now, the rest of the field was kind of wet, but here in the middle of the field is a huge puddle. So you have a couple of choices. You can avoid it all day long. Or, at first opportunity, you can go head first into it. I decided the latter was the better option. And so at first opportunity, I went full board into the big puddle. Now you're muddy and wet. You cannot get more muddy and wet. So it's over. But as long as you try to avoid being muddy and wet, it's a problem, right? <laughs> you need to go home and get a shower. If you need to deal with people that are filled with bitter, bitterness all over them. You can't come home and get a shower and wash it off, but you can get into the presence of God and just let the joy of the Lord build up on the inside of you and just wash it off. Just wash it off and get going. And, and, and Now, you get around folks. Well, well, we'll get into that next week. We'll help you out with that. You get around people like that, you've got to know how to help them out. Otherwise, they're just going to pull you down. <laughs> we don't want that. You want to be helped out. You want things.